Hi, I'm Leslie Dolphin and welcome to the latest podcast from Suffolk Money, supported by Kingsuite. Now, the one thing we all love is a success story involving a talented entrepreneur. And in the spotlight this time is Jenna Ackerley. She started her business, Events Under Canvas, 10 years ago, and it has proved a huge hit, recently picking up an award for its impressive growth. Colin Lowe has been to meet her to find out more about what they do and about their hopes for the future. So it's a beautiful Friday morning and I'm sitting here with Jenna from Events Under Canvas. Uh, Jenna, this is an amazing location. Just tell us about where we are and how you got here. Hi Colin. So yes, I'm Jenna Ackley and we are based in Cape of St Mary just off the A12 at Great Gilbert Farm. And this is the HQ of my business, Events Under Canvas. And the business is 10 years old and six years ago this site came available um, I'd outgrown where we were renting previously and was looking for some a, a warehouse to rent ultimately to grow our business. And I realized um, this little property had come on the market. A friend told me about it. And so we bought this site and it's evolved over the last six years to our HQ where we've got three warehouses and our main office suite. And then we've also developed some additional office spaces to rent out to other businesses. So there's a little bit of noise coming through the door. We've got these... Uh lovely uh, wide open doors and you can hear the birds singing but there's lots of banging and crashing going on in the background we'll come on to that in a moment so events under canvas is what you're called and from how i understand it that is exactly what you do that's right yes so we build unique tented event spaces for weddings festivals and parties and corporate events we started off with our giant teepees which is our main structures and then since then we've invested in sailcloth tents and stretch tents and we also then offer all the flooring the lighting furniture staging dance floors to create full event venues which mainly go into people's gardens or grounds but we also build them in wedding venues, festivals, businesses, wherever somebody wants to create an outside event space. So let's go back to the start. Okay, so 10 years old now. Uh, was it one morning you woke up and thought, what I really need to do is find a tent somewhere? Uh, it's very random. Yeah, I, st- I started a business in my 20s overseas when I lived over in Mallorca and knew that I had a taste for business but didn't have a vocation as such. So I had in the back of my mind, I was looking for a business opportunity and I went to my cousin's wedding. She had a teepee wedding in East Burgholt and it was a bit of a light bulb moment really of seeing these amazing structures, did a bit of a Google search, saw that no one else was offering them in this region. She'd brought them in from outside of the area at quite a high cost because she'd fallen in love with them. That was 10 years ago and sort of a quick business plan was put together. I was due to be building an extension on our house. So we had a bit of savings ready to build this extension. So there was a U-turn conversation about investing it in some teepees instead. And just so, so, so how does someone go about finding a teepee then? So at that stage, you obviously thought that teepees were the way. It was, so teepees is what you started with. Right. And uh, how does one go about then sourcing a teepee? Um, Google is very helpful. <laughs> so yeah, just keeping an open mind and searching. I discovered there was a company called, uh, our teepees are pretty special because they can be linked together to create multiple spaces. So they've been developed over many years actually. And they've been developed by a company called Ten Teepee, which is based in Sweden. 
So because my cousin had hired from a particular company outside of the area, a quick search of them and working out where they got them from. At that point, there was no one else offering event TPs other than 10TP. So um, there has since been some other companies um, coming in and knocking them off since then. But we still buy our TPs from 10TP. They're made in northern Sweden by a Lapish family that also make camping tents as well. So yeah, I reached out to the UK sort of importer of them. He was amazing. So John Parr, who had started the first ever TP hire business down in the southwest, um, became a bit of a mentor. So I sort of called him, told him where I was based, told him what I was thinking of doing. And he just equipped me really with the information I needed to know. So happily sold me some TPs to start with, but also pointed me in the direction of a good marquee insurance broker who could support me in making sure I had all of the safety side and the protection in place. And then also between then my insurance broker and John sort of armed me with that basic information I needed. And then I guess the rest of it was balls and sort of willingness to take a risk really. So how many did you acquire on day one? So we, um, hilariously, we didn't actually acquire any until we got our first booking. So the intention was to buy three. So we sort of lined up the financing to be able to buy three. Um, but actually the way that uh, the events company, events businesses works is that people will be booking their weddings and parties a year, 18 months mm. before it happens. So as soon as we decided to start, um, there was actually, I, I created a Facebook page and said, I'm going to be offering teepees. And then I got my first call and a woman said she wanted to book her wedding with me for the following year and was willing to give me money, deposit for that. So the, the intention to buy three teepees was what it was and that's what I started selling. But then actually we got an inquiry pretty quickly from the Isle of Wight Festival who wanted five for that coming summer. Mm. So it was that inquiry that then made the decision to buy five. Mm. And we, we actually, I, I targeted 12 weddings in my first year. That was how I sort of thought, how do I prove this model and prove that this is worth me giving up my job for ultimately. And so thought if I can get 12 bookings over the winter, that will tell me that I've done it. We ended up doing 56. So yeah, I think sweet. we proved that there was demand for what we were doing. So that's an important point. So you started all of this while you were still working or doing something else, working, yeah, doing something, was, some other sort of work. So bizarrely, it was, I, I'd been working at Ipswich Hospital for five years as a manager um, in, in various roles that I really enjoyed. And I was on maternity leave actually. So I took maternity leave, was three months into my maternity leave and was actually getting to the point of thinking I think I need to go back to work because I'm not really cut out to be a stay-at-home mum love my children dearly but that just wasn't um you know I just struggled a bit with that sort of not having a focus so was starting to have a conversation with my husband about going back to work when I went to this TP wedding so I had this opportunity of six months really that I didn't need to decide what to do so I could thankfully I had a very understanding mother that while she'd been a stay-at-home mum she completely understood her daughter and knew that I wasn't she offered to help me with some childcare, so I was able to then have support with my baby um, a supportive husband who then allowed me to spend a few days a week focusing on this and getting started so it was a real gradual approach and I had that freedom of not needing to make the final decision not to go back you know and then I think because things took off with events under canvas quite quickly within that first two or three months I think by the six month point of my maternity leave at that point I knew I probably wasn't going back and then was talking to the hospital about not coming back 
So at least you had that um, safeguard. You were able to, if you like, have a, you had a safety net for starting a business of saying, well, if, yeah. if, if there wasn't any sign of it working, then you hadn't burnt your bridges and you could no, carry that's on. Right. Yeah. That's right. I mean, I, I think actually in hindsight, though, it wasn't like it wasn't instantly a full time job because I was a young mum and I had a young baby. It wasn't like I suddenly started doing this full time. No. So I guess in hindsight, if the idea had come and I was working full time, I could have done this in evenings and weekends and mm. around my job anyway. Anyway, um, you know, like I say, because I could see the demand quite quickly, it meant the decision actually came quite quickly in the end as well. Yeah, I, the only reason I'm raising that is because I think there's a lot of people who are considering starting a business and perhaps feel they've got to leap to yeah. start the business and, and give up the job before they start it. And, and in many ways, it's possible sometimes to at least put wheels in motion before you do take that absolute yes. leap of faith isn't it so Completely. yeah my, my sense has always been there that I, I am a risk taker and I always have been but actually I think part of my confidence in taking risks is working out my fallbacks so I think always just having those options mm. and what's really helped me with that and I'd recommend anybody doing is mentorship so mm. finding someone who has done what you want to do mm. and talking to them and my experience in Suffolk is that people that have been successful at doing this are very happy to give their advice for free so I would to tell everybody not to pay for advice in that regard just mm. in terms of starting up business just find someone who's done it um, I reached out to a previous boss of mine actually who I'd worked for in Ipswich years before who had always inspired me and asked him if he'd be my mentor right at the start was one of the first calls I made and so actually it was his support that helped mm. me gauge that and the right way to go about things and when to jump and when not to and when to hold back that's really interesting. I think that's one thing we often overlook, of always having someone who you can talk to in the early stages of a business, because it's a pretty lonely affair, even when you're sort of just cracking on and having to make decisions. To have someone that you can bounce things off is critical, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I think, you know, there's, it's not only really lonely, but I think... Um, I don't know the right term to say, but I feel like there's also a lot of vultures out there. And I don't necessarily mean that negatively, but there's a lot of other small business owners trying to capitalize on startups and small businesses and so I think some business owners are left paying for advice and when I hear about it I almost find it quite frustrating because I don't necessarily think it's the right advice so um, you know the, the biggest lesson for me I, for the first three years of running my business I didn't pay anybody for any advice on how to run my business. It was all free advice of people that I just built a network around me asking for help, you know, and, and I do now. So I think then once you cross a threshold and you're into the small business zone, well then of course you need to pay for advice and there's lots of advice you need, but by then you've got that inner confidence that you can listen to your own voice and then you go out to get targeted advice, whether that's marketing or finance or HR or whatever it is. But I think some people make the mistake of latching on to consultants early on thinking they're going to help them grow an entrepreneurial business and I don't think that's the way it works. That's, that's very interesting. So is that something you now reciprocate in people coming to you and asking for advice? Yeah, it is. It is. And it feels like a real pay it forward kind of thing, actually. And it's something I'm really passionate about. So I've been mentoring two small business owners, entrepreneurs um, over the last couple of years. One girl, Abby, who I've been sort of working with for the last four years, who I'd worked with as a customer very briefly and she'd had a sparky idea and then asked to talk to me and we're still friends we we meet often and talk about stuff and support her and then I've also just this year um 
been appointed a trustee for Inspire, a youth charity in Ipswich, um, which I'm really proud to be involved with. I offered myself up as a volunteer to be a business coach with them. Um, I think um, I think people that have either been through the private school sector or are just really well networked and supported just have this inner sense that they need to find networks. But I don't necessarily think people that are outside of that bracket would know where to start. So mm. that was my incentive for contacting Inspire and seeing the work they do with the Prince's Trust and the programmes they're delivering. Mm. And yeah, so I'm really hoping to work with them to sort of make this even more formal and you know certainly anyone listening I think just reach out to anyone whether you know them or not if you can see someone doing good work mm. and the moment someone tries to charge you for their time that's when you back off in my in my opinion <laughs> okay so let's just re return back to the story so your target if target is the right word it was 12 in the first year is that right 12 yes. events and you had 50, 56. 56. Yes. Okay. So how did you cope with a level of demand that was way beyond anything you'd anticipated? Um, winging it, to be honest with you. you know, um, I, I mean, because it was, there was never really a business plan. And actually, interestingly, now 10 years on, what I would say is that goes back to the advice thing we're just talking about. Um, most people think they need a full plan. And I would say most people who have done well in business through the plan out the window and it's about flexibility being open-minded um you know yourself Colin if you've started your own business I think there's a thing of um you know bank managers and finance people and consultants will tell you it's really important to have a plan and so as much as I had a plan in the sense of I understood my profit margins I understood what I needed to charge and what it was going to cost me to do it I didn't really have that much of a plan. So that 12 threshold was more about proving to me mm. it was worth starting a business. There mm. was no upper limit to that. So really it was a case of putting ourselves out there, letting people know what we're doing, and then having a seriously can-do approach to every single inquiry that came in. Um, you know, and like say the Isle of Wight Festival one was a really interesting one in our first year, how on earth we were going to get five teepees and all the kit onto an island. But actually the attitude was, and still is actually, we say yes, and then we work it out. Because mm. if anyone can do it, we know we can. And mm. over time, I've just built a really, really resourceful team of people who, mm. who like that, who like going the extra mile for people and like being able to say yes rather than no. Mm. And um, yeah, just so there's that inner confidence, trusting that you can work it out, being really open with people. Um, so there's been some conversations over the years where a customer will ask for something and the conversation is, well, yes, we want to do this. Give me 24 hours. I'll work it out and I'll come back to you and just being really open and honest. That led to a job in 2017 where we took our tents to Mount Etna in Sicily and that was a completely random inquiry. Same story, someone rang and said, I'm doing an event for 50 people on an active volcano. Can you come and build all your equipment there? And again, that was one of those conversations and we just worked it out and we did it. It was incredible. The team loved it and got some great PR off the back of it. I mean, there's something slightly scary in some of the things you're just saying there. Right? Um, so from, I'm immediately thinking from a business perspective, you're thinking, or I'm thinking, well, so there's a cost you're having to quote by saying yes. So you're saying yes, and it will cost this to the customer. But some of the lengths that you're having to go to mean that your costs, in other words, the potential for your profit margin, are really quite variable in, in yes. some of those things. 
How do you deal with that? So we've got a really simple transparent pricing model where we charge a higher fee for our equipment and it's like a menu. It's a price list which says a teepee is this, flooring is this, dance floor is this, non-negotiable. However, we charge a delivery charge and that is entirely based on where the event is. Okay. Now, for the first sort of two or three years of operating within East Anglia, that delivery was free. So just anywhere within our region, we would do it for free, which meant if we were going to Cromer, that was going to cost us a bit more than if we were going to Dedham. However, you know, we, we were happy with that. Now, obviously, outside of that area, that's the that's the conversation with the customer is so the conversation with the sicily customer was yes we can do this and yes we have the stock for it mm. it's the price you're going to have to wait for and yeah. you're going to have to give me a few days to work that out yeah. um you know and then it's a case of oh my goodness how on earth am i going to quote for this and then it's then pulling those resources people you've met at networking events people you know how the hell do i find someone that can help me get this kit there and lots of phone calls um and you know, so there's a bit of risk taking because ultimately, if I was going to get that priced up to the exact pound, it probably would have taken me a few months mm. to get that. But what I did is made a few calls, got a bit of a steer, looked on Skyscanner to see how much it was going to cost me to fly my team out, looked to see how much it would cost me to drive all our kit out by a haulage company, had a vague sense of what hotels would cost, and then I put my finger in the air a little bit and came mm. up with a figure. That mm. figure at the time in 2017 was seven grand. I thought I can get everyone there and my kit there for seven grand. So then I rang this man back within 24 hours and said, right, the kit you want to hire from me is 7,000 pounds, and I think it's going to cost me 7,000 pounds to get it to you, so I'll quote you 14 grand. You know, so, so it was mm. a bit of a risk, mm. but it wasn't, it wasn't as big as just having a pricing card and quoting sure. it to him and worrying sure. later. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you learn over time and you flex it, and as it was, I think we ended up doing that job, and it cost us pretty much exactly seven grand to well, get everyone there. Going. So you know, we didn't make any more or less money than we sure. would have made if it had been an Ipswich, but it was great, a great, event for our crew to go to um, yeah. after a busy it was at the end of a season and so right. the team finished their summer season and then they got five days in Sicily so they just built everything and then they got to enjoy Sicily for a few Lovely. days while the event was happening and then they took it all down and brought it all back and in the end we shipped it actually the we ended up realizing the best way to do it was to get a container here so we partnered with a logistics company in Felixstowe filled a container of everything and shipped it on a boat to Sicily Fantastic. and it was amazing so we learned lots during that process as well amazing but it's uh, unless you take that risk uh, whereas the temptation might be, oh, we're a small business, that's maybe a step too far, there's too many things to work out, too many variables, so I'm just not going to bother, um, just because I don't want to put anybody else at risk. No, um, right. But, yeah. And that's, and that's the way up, isn't it? I don't, think, I don't think there has ever been a business that has grown significantly that hasn't taken risks. And mm. my, my own opinion is the relationship between risk and growth is very, very closely linked. That doesn't mean it always works. You get plenty of companies that take risk and it backfires. But I don't think you get any companies that grow significantly without taking them. Mm. You know, you can grow five, ten percent each year and be very, very risk averse. Mm. And I think there comes a tipping point as well once you're a much larger business that actually those entrepreneurial attitudes don't apply anymore, which is why typically you don't get entrepreneurs running big businesses. Um, but in order to scale, I think that's the attitude you need to have. And I would say that's probably been our secret. We've grown an average of 30% each year in the 10 years we've been going. And I think that's because of our sort of can-do attitude and approach to everything. Well, uh, you're listening to the Suffolk Money podcast supported by Kingsfleet and we're speaking about events under canvas with Jenna. Uh, Jenna, this has been uh, amazing so far. So what we've got to is this embryonic business that's taking some quite big leaps and jumps in the early years. And your initial initial purchase was five TPs, from what I recall. We haven't moved on beyond that, though, have we? So what, was your, what were your next steps after the five TPs? 
Um, yeah, again, there's never been a set plan. I, um, but I remember a conversation with my brother. My brother's one of my mentors and supporters, and he's a shareholder now as well. Um, and I was um, taking a risk and borrowing quite a lot of money in order to scale the business. And I was having a bit of a wobble about whether I should do that. And in a conversation with him, I think in year two, um, I sort of said, look, I'm really worried about this. I'm taking on debt. I think it was about 150 grand, which felt huge to me at the time to be burdening the business with. And his conversation was, you don't need to worry about how you're going to pay back the 150 grand. You just worry about getting your business to a million turnover. And there was something in what he said, which just tweaked me. And I always remember that conversation. And it stuck in my head that suddenly I had a target of a million turnover because there was never really a target. I was just starting it because I thought it was a good idea and I thought it had huge potential. So that was, and I think at that point we'd probably, I think in year two we might have turned over about 300 grand something like that so to me getting a business to a million turnover was huge and I had no clue how I was going to get there but just that seed of intention is ultimately what got us there mm. and in 2019 we got to a million turnover mm. and um we, we've still got quite a lot of our crew that have been with us now for 10 years. A couple of our guys have been with us since the start, building our tents, and they're now managers for us. And early on, when we first started, I'm a big skier and love skiing every year. And some of my crew had said, will you take us skiing one year if this business does well? So I jokingly said to them, I think in 2015, if we get to a million turnover, then yes, I will take everyone skiing. And in 2019, we were able to do that. In 2020, sorry. So 2019, we hit the million. And in 2020 winter, in January 2020, I took 19 of my team to the Alps for a skiing weekend. And it was incredible. And it was a really, really proud moment for the company. Um, I think two of my guys didn't even have passports at the time, hadn't been, most of them had never been to the Alps and it was amazing taking them all there and I've, unfortunately that was a month before Covid hit yeah. so then obviously the world changed a bit but yeah. that was probably that high point of we've made it and then yeah. Um, yeah and then grappling with everything else after that. Yes yeah we, we do need to come on to that um, so let's just talk through some of the events you've been involved in and then we'll maybe just come back to Covid and see where we go from there but so Obviously, the, the, the immediate one that comes to mind for me is weddings. I'm sure you've done some, been involved in some amazing weddings. Yeah, we have. Yeah, that's definitely probably, I'd say, about 70% of our business. So we do about 400 events a year now. Um, and that's, that's typically then up to 20 per weekend. So in the summer months, we'll be doing 20 weddings per weekend or 20 events per weekend. And we have done some pretty cool ones, actually. This year, we did Ollie Murs on OC Island. So um, that was really great to be involved with that. Um, and it is, I mean, our, what we're offering is utterly beautiful and breathtaking and it's not cheap. It's not, it's not something I would have been able to afford for my own wedding when I got married. So it's a really beautiful high-end wedding and event structures to have. Um, and we cover the whole of the south and east of England now. So we're going quite far afield out as far as Oxfordshire, all the south coast up to Northampton. And yeah, just creating these beautiful weddings for people from a small wedding for 20 people up to big grand weddings for three, 400 guests. Mm. And then, you know, so weddings we're well used to and that's our core market. And um, we, you know, we've got a really good reputation in that market. And then, but actually often the way we attract those customers is through the other events, the more high profile events where the public go to. And um, we're really proud that we've been doing Latitude since we started. That was one of our real early wins is I made contact with Festival Republic who run Latitude. When I first decided to buy TPs, they did have TPs at Latitude, but were bringing them in from well outside the area. So they were delighted to find 
online there was a local provider so we partnered with them really quickly and we every single year we do their green room tents so backstage vip dining tents for the stars so the bands would all be eating and drinking in our teepees but what's great is then the public get to see them the public see these amazing structures and that helps us then people see for private events that that happens we did we've done glastonbury for three times as well um and then we've done, so I do, um, Claudia Schiffer lives in Suffolk, very famous face in Suffolk, up near Bury St Edmunds. We've done a couple of events for her. We've taken our tents to the Belfry up in Birmingham for Zara Phillips and Mike Tyndall for a big charity gala for them. Um, and so just lots of high society, high profile weddings, parties, events. Um, so yeah, so it's exciting. We even built a teepee once for Harry Kane's um, fiance who was pregnant and couldn't go out to the World Cup. And um, that was 2016 World Cup. So she had a teepee up in her garden during the World Cup for all of her friends to watch all the matches with her. So that was quite cool. And we've got lots of football fans in our team. So they love doing that too. Goodness me. So yeah, some amazing things which have been involved. And you've mentioned several times your team um, because there's no way you could be doing this all by yourself. So uh, how many people do you employ? And uh, I take it that varies during the course of the year. Yeah, that's right. So we have um, we have 18 year-round staff. Um, so that's made up of nine of us here in the office, sort of doing all of the customer quoting, marketing, finance, HR, um, all that sort of processing. And then also the recruitment team for the summer months, because then in the summer we go up to, I think maximum is 80 headcount we've had. Um, so that's sort of another 60, 70 people coming to join us for the summer season. Our, season, our busy summer season is June to September, which very thankfully for us ties in with the university holidays so it means typically our seasonal workers are uni students mm. a-level students um so young fit people that want to work outside happy to work long hours it can be really long days in the summer you know often the boys are sort of starting here at base six seven o'clock in the morning they might not be getting back till eight nine o'clock at night um so it's fun work we never have a problem recruiting because it's really nice work to be doing you know in beautiful ground gardens bacon sandwiches being delivered jugs of cordial coming out um, but it's hard work you know they have to work in a team so our sort of core, so we've got the nine people here in the office and then we've got another seven or eight guys that will work all year round out in our warehouses. So that's sort of our foreman chem. We've got um, three or four team leaders and supervisors and they work all year round. In the winter, they're then doing the winter events we do because we do have bits and bobs happening over the winter. Stock checks, repairs, cleaning, grading, sort of sorting out everything and training all of that sort of logistical planning roles and then as soon as the summer hits they then become our management team so then they're then leading teams so in the busy summer months we'll have probably eight to ten team leaders or managers who will then lead the crew that are then going out into people's gardens to build tents so on an average Wednesday in the summer so two weeks ago one of our busiest weekends ever we had seven different team leaders with seven different teams in seven different places all building weddings or events and Kem our foreman and then Hells who's our head of ops coordinating all of that so we have yeah I think at its height we've had sort of 17 vans and trucks and probably 70 crew out on the road, all doing all of this. And then an amazing team here in the office, handling the calls, tracking the logistics. And um, and that, that's been a sort of, um, we're really proud of it. And it's probably been our hardest thing is as we've grown, holding on to our customer service and making sure it doesn't diminish at all. And that's, um, you know, and it, we're really proud of how we've done that. So we give our customers a half an hour window of when we're going to arrive. 
which is challenging mm. and none of our competitors do that you know most marquee companies would say yeah we'll build for you on that Wednesday the boys will arrive at some point whereas we're giving people a real-time window we're keeping them really well informed but the logistical process of that you know as much as we're providing these beautiful tents and it all seems like we're this cool quirky events company it's really a logistics business of actually organizing the stock yeah. the crew the vehicles and making sure everyone is where they need to be uh, yeah at the right time <laughs> exactly <laughs> in the right place at the right yeah. time so um you, we've had a look between us before we started recording so can we go and have yeah. another look at the warehouse of course um uh, or a, one of your warehouses, because oh, there's this uh, enormous array of buildings, and just talk us through some of the things that are there. So, yes, of course. So this is a, just while we're on our way there, this is a site that you acquired um, when the business was already up and running, but you needed somewhere for it to be based? That's right, yeah. we start, When we first started, we were storing all of our kit in a mushroom farm here in Capel St Mary. So Capel Mushrooms um, agreed to let us um, use one of their empty barns um, for our summer season, and we outgrew that really quickly. So then we started renting another barn in East Burgholt, and we outgrew that, and all that time the office was in my home. So my front room was the office, and we were renting a barn. And as we outgrew that, we knew we needed to find somewhere, and um, I couldn't find anywhere to rent and a friend of mine pointed out that there was a, a sort of an old derelict farmhouse with some land and outbuildings for sale in Cable St Mary and when I looked at it realised it was the perfect site so we've got this place here just off the A12 which is two acres with it did have old outbuildings and a house so we bought the site rented the house out to a friend who's been there ever since and then started a job of conversion there was one this grain store here was the only really sort of watertight building on site so we got it recladded, kitted it out to be able to store all of our stock. So all of our stock went into this one initially. And then we started a process of planning approval to get change of use to business um, and get planning permission to build this other warehouse here. Um, we partnered with a great local guy, um, DA Coathoop and Sons, who's based in um, Great Blakenham, who builds these sheds, which is incredible. So quickly got to know him so and started a planning application for another barn and then also worked up a planning application to convert these old cattle sheds into offices um, for ourselves was the original intention. So we converted one of them to an office for events under canvas and moved my team at that point, which was just four ladies in to um, have the office here and link the warehouse house with the office and then it's sort of it's evolved a bit because then we've added we've added mezzanines and additional warehouses as we've gone and workshops to build all the furniture and then we've also then got demand for other office suites from other businesses I knew in my network so then we managed to get planning to build to convert some more offices here so we've sort of now got this great site it's called Great Gilbert Farm where we've got three other companies that rent their office spaces from us and then events under canvases HQ where we do the building work the cleaning work all the storage all the stock checks and all the logistical loading, unloading, um, ready to go and service all the events. And because we're just here by the A12, it's really easy to get, get across our region. Yeah, 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 I can well imagine. So obviously you've got some tents um, in there. Yeah, so that's sorts, chill, out, chill out furniture, chill bars, furniture. fire okay. pits. Oh my um, word. We've actually, we've we've had, we've actually <laughs> been operating for the last 10 years a glamping business alongside our main one. So right. a lot of our glamping kit is in here. Oh, Although actually as of next year, we're not offering glamping anymore. Um, it's sort of something we're, we're going to stop doing unfortunately um and so this will just be more furniture so this is all the furniture we build all of our own fire pits benches chill out furniture 
box seats. So a lot of the furniture that goes in our teepees, this rustic furniture is all built by our team. So the crew that build it, it that put them up in the summer, then often do all the building work. So we've got some really practical guys that are great at designing and building mm -hmm. all of our kits. And then we buy like, so the Chesterfield sofas, which are really popular as chill out spaces, round mm -hmm. fires in the teepees. We buy those off local auctions and Facebook marketplace. And so the team are just really good at seeking out and finding the kit that ties in really nicely with yeah. what we do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And um, and then the warehouse that we were looking at earlier. Yes. Maybe you can just talk us through everything in there because that was a bit of an eye-opener. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, so this is the, the big one. The big unit has got about a thousand chairs We and we have to hire in a lot more chairs than we can hold ourselves. Um, tables, dance floors. I think we've got 15 dance floors. We've got about 12 stages. We have the lit up letters that spell dance and love for weddings. And then we have catering tents. So often if we're building our main teepees, customers then want service tents behind for all their caterers to cook in. So we've got huge stock of those. And then up on this mezzanine up here is all of our lighting. So we've got hundreds and hundreds of meters of fairy lights, festoon lights, mirror balls, up lighters. Um, so the, you know, when we build the tents, we're then doing everything in them to transform them to these beautiful lit spaces. So essentially what you've proved to me is that someone just needs to come to you with a space yes, and that's right. say, we to want to hold an event. Exactly. They don't even need a space because oh. actually there's lots of venues we work with as well. Right. So interesting. We even get some people that come to us that say, I want a teepee wedding, but I've got no idea where to put it because my garden's too small. And on our website, we have a list of local venues where um, people can put so shortly vineyard. I think where you said mm. you're going later on today. Mm. Um, we do lots of events there. They host weddings there. There's lots of great dry hire venues across Suffolk where we will go and build our tents. Butley Priory over Woodbridge mm. way we do a lot Lovely. with as well. So um, yeah, so oh, we, can definitely advise people on where they can put them if they don't have the space themselves. Amazing. Mm. So how do you see the business developing then, Jenna? Where's it going to go from here? Um, I mean, I, your I, growth is phenomenal. It's been, I mean, it was phenomenal up until COVID and then actually post-COVID, 21 mm. and 22 have been real boom years for us. Although this year we've slightly shrinked and demand isn't there at the moment. And I don't know yet how much of that is just the post-COVID bubble bursting, right. how much of that is the economy at the moment. So yeah. to be honest, right now, our attitude is hold on tight and yeah, yeah. just make sure we're good at what we do, look after our team. We've had a real um, solid year this year of making sure we're really re well resourced from a management point of view. So Kem, our foreman, is a new recruit and he's really spent time training, developing, supporting the guys. Um, so we've sort of put in a lot of infrastructure for growth. We do have intentions for growth um, and probably that would involve acquisition somewhere west of London we have lots of demand oh, over Oxfordshire direction and it's quite hard to service that mm. if the boys are driving a six hour round trip it's then really hard for them to spend mm. eight hours building someone's wedding mm. especially if they then forget a mirror ball or something and have to go back again so I think probably opening up a hub somewhere west will be the next step for us although there's not necessarily a time scale for that yet. I think it's been, so just before COVID hit, it was a very soon intention for growth. But actually at the moment, I think it's just about making sure we carry on looking after the customers we've got. We now, and now we're 10 years old, we work with lots of really high-end production companies, event planners, wedding planners, and you know that there is a level of quality and service expectation there, which I think if we just focus on growth, we could lose. So yeah, it's just about making sure everyone's happy and we're looking after the business we've got and getting ready to scale, I would say. So on the, just on the starting line, ready to. And so we're, we're ready to take the growth as soon as the demand is there. But at the moment, 
unfortunately the demand isn't there. Yeah, well, you've got to mm. cut your cloth, haven't you? Uh, yeah. Cut your canvas <laughs> um, accordingly, I guess, haven't you? So, well, that's been fantastic talking to you. Well, uh, you must be thrilled at what's what you've built. I am, yeah, no, I am proud. I mean, it's where you can get caught up in the day-to-day -day and forget, actually, um, what we've built here. And, and it's definitely been a team effort. With, and, yeah, I am proud. It's a, it's, and, it's, and I enjoy coming to work every day, which is nice. So well, that's, that's, yeah, what more can anyone ask for <laughs> than that? So, Jenna, it's been brilliant to talk to you. Thank you. It's really and, good to meet you. And, uh, yeah, all the very best with the business. Jenna Ackerley chatting to Colin Lowe about the fabulous success of her business, Events Under Canvas, which is based at Cable St Mary. Now, just a reminder, we'd love you to subscribe to our podcast. And if you could give us a five-star rating, that'll help other people find us and listen too. Loads more about what we do on our website. That's suffolkmoney.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook. And if there's a business, an entrepreneur, a charity or any other money related story that you think we should feature, please do get in touch. My thanks to the team who helped to produce the podcast, that's Sally and Kevin Birch and Joy Day. And of course, my thanks to you for listening. Until the next time, from me, Leslie Dolphin, bye.